Hi, my name is Noah. I um, I would go to UBC. I've been going here since uh, the second semester of my freshman year. I go to Cedarville University. Make him known was starting up kind of as I got involved here um, at UBC. I'd been in you know church initiatives before and things starting up, and so you know just kind of listening to it, listening to okay, what is UBC doing with this? What is the goal? And I think as Pastor Jason got closer to defining the goal to make him known, that's what I wanted my life to be about. I've wanted, you know, my life to be about sharing Christ. And so that's something that I wanted to be a part of. You know, whatever that meant, whatever making him known meant, I wanted to do it. I had given before to, to Christian ministries and uh, to church, but I had never set out a consistent like this is how much I'm gonna give every Sunday you know for this long and so when Make Him Known started up I made that a goal to where okay I want to be able to consistently give this much and start that pattern as a habit of grace for the Christian life and I think that's been something that's really good for me I'm not perfect yet but I'm you know getting better at saying okay this Sunday I have you know I'm gonna follow my plan to give this much towards making him known. Paying private tuition as a poor college student is very difficult. And for me, it kind of seemed like I needed to hoard, you know, every little penny I could get just to pay for tuition and say, okay, this is how I'm gonna pay for tuition, but I don't have any money for anybody else. And I think it was really God saying, okay, I know you don't know how I'm going to pay, you know, for your needs, but if you trust me and give towards my mission, I will fulfill your needs. I was blown away by how much people were willing to give, not just on the money side of things, but on the ministry side of using that money and using people's skills to glorify God and to make him known. So I think those two things, consistently giving and consistently serving, are what I've seen in the Make Him Known initiative. If 100% of the church does 100% of what the Lord calls them to do, then, um, then good things will happen, then God will be glorified, then we will make Him known and accomplish that goal. So I think that is the best thing I could encourage anybody with. past couple years, and I'm thankful for every single person in our church, um, young college students, high school students, elementary age kids, and older adults, uh, everyone who has chosen to be part of our um, Make Him Known initiative. Thank you guys so much for being a part of this. It's been a joy to see what God is doing. Um, as we, you know, kind of, if you saw on the slide, we've got Finish Strong Sunday coming up on December 3rd um, as we get ready to conclude our Make Him Known initiative. So before we get into today's sermon, I just wanted to take just a couple quick minutes and just mention a couple things briefly about our finances leading up to the Finish Strong offering. And the first thing that I want to say is that, you know, the Lord continues to bless this church abundantly when it comes to finances. We just thank the Lord for that. We praise Him for His provision. Um, guys, we have received nearly, as of today, nearly $5.7 million toward the Make Him Known initiative. We praise the Lord for that uh, good news together. Of that $5.7 million that has come in, um, $4.9 million of that was committed 
um, you know, in the previous um, commitment dates that we've had for the church. Uh, so of that $4.9 million that was committed, here's the thing that I wanted to share with you today. $4.4 million of those commitments has been collected so far, which means that we have approximately $500,000 remaining in what I'm just calling uncollected commitments. Um, and, you know, those commitments were made by those of us who have been here for the past couple years. So ideally, we would love to see all those uncollected commitments be able to be fulfilled and brought in on, um, you know, our Finish Strong Sunday. Uh, there are probably several of you in the room who haven't yet uh, fulfilled your commitment. My wife Rachel and I haven't yet fulfilled ours either, so we're praying about that and thinking through how we can make that happen uh, by Finish Strong Sunday. But I want to ask you um, to do your best to try to fulfill a commitment that you've made. That would be ideal. Uh, as I've mentioned in previous weeks, if we're able to fulfill our commitments by Finish Strong Sunday, that means we're going to be able to do two things. Put a huge dent in our mortgage as a church, the loan we had to take out to build um, our new facility, and we're also going to be able to be a blessing to many of the mercy ministries that are in our area. Uh, as I've been saying for the past couple Sundays, for every dollar that is given on the week of Finish Strong, um, we are going to give 75 cents of that dollar directly to paying down our loan, and we're going to give 25 cents of that dollar to be evenly distributed uh, among the mercy ministries that we're highlighting this month. So if you've made a commitment to our Make Him Known initiative I'm asking you to finish strong and do your best to keep as much of that commitment as you can. And as soon as I say that, I know that there are at least three types of people in the room that are responding. The first one is some of you who are like, all right, I've already uh, kept my commitment and uh, we praise the Lord for that. I want to say to you directly, if you've been able to already fulfill your commitment, thank you so much. It, it, I can't say it enough. And uh, if the Lord has blessed you with your resources in such a way where you can make an additional offering on top of what you've already given, my promise to you is that the church will indeed accept your check, okay? So thank you for that. We appreciate it. Um, the second type of person in the room that I know is here is probably somebody who's like, okay, uh, I made a commitment in previous years, but honestly, I haven't been tracking it. I don't really know where I stand on my commitment. So if you need to get kind of a status update on where your giving commitment stands, a couple steps that you can take, we're going to put up on the screen for you here. If you have questions about this, then you can download the Church Center app onto your phone. And once you have that downloaded, just check your profile. It'll show you your giving status and the commitment that you've made, kind of where you stand with that. The other thing that you can do if you have more specific questions or you just kind of like to interact with someone about it, you can email giving at ubcbeavercreek.com and our financial secretary will be able to give you an answer there. So I know that some of you are kind of in that status, trying to figure out where you stand with your giving commitment. I also know there's a third type of person in the room, and that's people who you know in your heart you made a commitment before, but due to whatever reason, uh, you're just not going to be able to keep that commitment. I just want to take the pressure off of you right now and say, it's okay. I don't want people in our church living under guilt. Uh, we need to be able to trust God and move forward under grace. So here's what I'm asking everybody in the church to do. I'm asking everybody to pray and ask the Lord to lead you about your particular commitment and your giving on our Finish Strong offering. And as we've said all along, what we really want is 100% of us doing 100% of what God calls us to do. And if we do that, I believe we will experience the blessing of the Lord. All that being covered, today we're going to move forward in our, um, in our sermon series called Mercy. Uh, in this series, we are called... We're really exploring our calling as the church to make Christ known by showing compassion to the most vulnerable groups of people among us. Um, in week one, 
we talked about showing mercy to the preborn. And if you're anything like me, you're very disappointed with the results of issue one this past week. Um, but here's what I want to say. As much as we might be disappointed, God's not disappointed. He has known the end from the beginning. He's in control. He's never lost control. Our God is the perfect and righteous judge, and he will bring about righteous judgment in the ways that are appropriate um, uh, for the decisions that we make. And in the end, for God's people, this will all work out for our good and for God's glory. So because we can trust in our sovereign God, what do we do? We stay on mission. We keep making disciples. Because I don't know about you, I look at my four kids, and I think about the kids in this church, and I want the younger generation to grow up being trained and seeing their parents and the adults in their lives um, live in, as an example of people who share God's heart for the preborn. So we need to keep making disciples, investing in our children, training the next generation to grow up and care about the preborn. But that's what we focused on in week one of this mercy series was mercy for the preborn. Last week we talked about mercy for the persecuted church, and today we're going to be talking about mercy for the widow and the orphan. And um, many months ago, as I was thinking about preparing uh, for this service, the Lord put it on my heart to ask Rob Slofman, our director of student ministries, to come and preach this sermon. Rob is a man who is um, practicing what he's about to preach to you. He and his wife, Tiffany, uh, have been involved with foster and adoptive care for years. Uh, I have watched Rob live out compassion for not just the orphan, but also for the widows um, in his own family over the years. And he is leading our students, our teenagers, to continue with orphan and widow care, um, even amongst the younger generation of students in our church. So I'm excited to hear from him today. He did a great job in the first service. Can we welcome him here this morning to the second service? Thanks, man. Yeah, like Jason said, my name's Rob. Um, I've got an awesome job in the sense that uh, my job and my ministry uh, enables me to never grow up. I never uh, want to be a senior pastor. Uh, I, I get to do student ministry, do fun stuff, and hang out with students and point them to Jesus, and I love it. Um, two weeks ago was our costume party here on the Sunday night, and, and, and let me just say, I love what God is doing here at UBC but not just on Sunday mornings, but on, on Sunday nights when our, our children's ministry has a wana and we see kids uh, learning about Jesus in, in multitudes. And then on uh, Sunday night when we have student ministry as well. Um, two weeks ago at our costume party, we had 140 students at our student ministry, 20 of which were visitors. It was the first time. And our students are like taking it seriously about reaching out to their friends and, and introducing Jesus to them. And it's incredible. Um, on that night, by the way, 140 students in here, chaos was ensuing, the power went out that night, um, we had some snacks that we were doing, the stoves went unlit because of the power went out, and uh, in the midst of all the chaos, uh, we left a little bit of the mess that night. So I humbly ask for your forgiveness about some of that stuff. So if you see some Nerf bullets underneath your chairs or some things out of energy, the chairs aren't straight on a Sunday morning... We'll take the fall. It was us, all right? But thank you for your grace um, in that as well. I'd also like to ask you to pray for our student ministry because um, in this time next weekend on Friday through Sunday morning, uh, 96 of our students and leaders are going on our fall retreat, and um, we would love it for you to just lift up our students and our leaders, uh, that God would just work in hearts and lives in awesome ways next weekend. 
So the, this morning, though, we're in the middle of our mercy series where we're dealing with some, some fun topics, but not even just so fun, but topics that have to deal with showing mercy in ways. Last week, we talked about uh, the International Day to Pray for the Persecuted Church, and then this morning is what's also known as Pure Religion Sunday. Pure Religion Sunday being an initiative of the Christian Alliance for Orphans that invites the church to lift up and share God's heart for the orphaned and vulnerable children and call uh, to care for them. This morning, we're going to dig in uh, really to the book of James in James 1.27, where uh, James would say, pure religion is this, to look after orphans and widows. Now, we'll dig into that in a couple minutes, but before, before we get into that, I'd like to just break down some terms so that we're all kind of on the same page. Um, in, in the biblical days, right, we, we have the Bible, we read orphans, we read, widow, we read widows, but um, in today's age and society, we have kids that are in foster care, kids that are getting adopted that aren't necessarily orphans because their parents haven't passed away. But sometimes, um, as we'll get into a little bit, um, Parents need to work on some things, and in the midst of this, it, it leaves kids that are not orphans, but are very vulnerable and need help. And so we'll dig into that this morning as well. Widows, on the other hand, and widowers, we, we just came out of this book study as we studied the book of Ruth, and, and we learned a lot about widows, right? We learned about Ruth. We learned about Naomi, right? And how Naomi didn't just lose her husband, she also lost sons, and that one we probably don't need to define as well. This morning, we'll also look in, in four, we'll break up this morning in four sections, really, like we have the last two weeks, where we'll look at why does this matter? What does the Bible have to say about it? What should our response be? And then lastly, we'll look at a ministry that's involved deeply in these two things. So before we do that, let's get to the why this matters. And let me share why this matters to me. About 10 years ago in 2013, um, God really just got a hold of my wife, uh, her life and my life. We were in ministry, but um, when I say this, really, if I'm honest, he got a hold of my wife's heart and led her to just kind of like put orphans and foster care on her heart. And he, he kind of like just started moving in this, and then he started dragging me, uh, kicking and screaming into it as well, um, honestly. See, I began to think of like all the excuses as to why, yeah, we should do this. This is a great idea. Maybe someday, probably not today or anytime soon. Um, but I had these excuses, excuses that in my mind seemed like really good reasons why not to do this right now. First, right off the bat was the excuse like, our house is just too small. Like, you know our budget, Tiffany. You know what we get paid to be in ministry. It's tough. It's a sacrifice. We have an 800-square-foot house with two bedrooms, one of which is ours. The other one um, is our two kids that we already have already. Well, we're not going to be able to fit any more kids in this house. And my wife just kind of humbly looked at me and said, yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm going to pray about it. So she prayed about it. But a week later, I get the surprising call from Tiffany, and she's just really excited. And I said, hey, why are you so excited? Uh, you're not going to believe it. I, I just got, I went in the garage. I took your tape measure. I went into the kids' room, and I just started measuring everything. And, and then I started playing Tetris and rearranging things, and I realized that we have room for another crib or bed in that room. And not just that. We have two inches to spare. 
literally two inches. Church, I just want to say, like, in the midst of this this morning, realize that sometimes our life can feel like we have two inches left. And God can say, hey, you know what? Give me those two inches, and let's do something wild. So that was my excuse. It was gone. We could fit another crib or bed, but I had another one, right? Our car was not big enough. Tiff, we got an SUV, but it doesn't, it only's got one row. We've got two car seats in it. There's no way we can fit another car seat in there. Uh, she says, yeah, you know what? You're right. I'm going to pray about it though. And as she prayed about it, literally like no joke, a week later, it's a Saturday afternoon where we're going uh, grocery shopping. We get our groceries. We get in the car. We're on our way home. Uh, our commute is like five minutes from the grocery store to our house. And in those five things, tragic things happened. It began to get very foggy outside. Only it wasn't fog. It was smoke coming up for the hood of our car. And I'm thinking, you, you got to be kidding me. Like, we don't need to pull over. What's going on? This is confusing. Um, we get into the driveway. I turn it off, and I act like I know what I'm doing. I pop the hood up. I look under it. Sure enough, smoke is coming out. It doesn't look good. And I realize that as my car is going up in smoke, so are my excuses. And I just remember in that instant, that day, just thinking, okay, God. You know, I thought maybe never, I thought maybe someday, I thought, you know, good idea, maybe not, and just don't take the house. And I realized that, like, looking back, like, my excuses, my house wasn't big enough, my car wasn't big enough, but my God was big enough. And he has brought us through. And in these 10 years, these last 10 years, we've had nine kids kind of come into our house over the years. um, And we have loved every single one of them. Most of them, all of them, if I'm honest, have, have just like, we're not as easy as others. But the place that they still take in our hearts is unbelievable. Just this last weekend, my, my son found a little Lego toy that one of, the, one of the first kids at our house in Ohio that had come in had built, and he had saved it for like five years. He's like, Dad, do you remember this? Yeah, I do. And uh, even though that was five years ago, you know, he still remembers it and looks back fondly. And, and so today, as we, as we dig into this in the midst of this, like, out of those nine kids that came in our home, this, this last year, we've been able to adopt two of them, and they're in their home. And they don't go home somewhere, they're home, they're ours. And uh, we're excited about that. You know, I grew up in Ohio, I had a, about a 10-year run as a youth pastor in St. Louis, and um, some interesting stuff that went down there. But in those 10 years, God brought us back a couple years ago. And, and as we moved back and kind of lived into our old neighborhood that I grew up in, uh, the, the area had kind of changed a little bit. The, the houses and the people who live there are a little bit older now. There's not as many kids. And as we uh, bought our house, we began to pray that, God, would you, I love the neighborhood, but would you bring some families into this neighborhood? Would you give our kids some friends here? About two years ago, a family moved in across the street, and this family uh, was a grandma, a single mom, and two kids. And the two kids are just in the age range of our kids, and they've become like really good friends. They play all the time. 
And in this last year, mom has just kind of made a, a series of choices and just basically uh, abandoned her two kids, leaving them to be taken care of and raised now by grandma or granny, as uh, my kids call her. And every Friday night, granny will have to go to work and um, the kids will come over to our house and we'll have dinner, we'll hang out and we'll help granny and these two kids as much as we can, realizing that, man, this isn't maybe what we signed up for, but this is the gospel playing out in our family and their family. And if you know me, you know that my Friday office is my day off, and I have a little hashtag that I'm at the Friday office, and during the spring and summer and fall, that Friday office is at Kings Island, and we're looking forward to spring coming back and adding those two kids across the street to our clan and our party that invades that Friday office this next year. Uh, this morning, as, as we begin, I want to share some stats of, uh, of about these pictures that we're going to be talking about. I want to share some stats, not just to give some really cool numbers for you to remember or jot down or to forget about, but I'm, I'm hoping to share these stats that as we dig into what the Bible says, as we dig into why this is an issue, as we dig into our response, we'll come back to these numbers and, and realize that maybe, maybe God is asking us to do something about these things. Hmm, who knows? In widow care, at our church, and our church right now, we have 10 widows and two widowers right now. And taking care of these people is incredibly important. I love that our church knows it, knows how many people that we need to reach out in this specific demographic and that they actually uh, do it. Um, in 2013, my mother-in-law became a widow. Uh, my father-in-law uh, struggled and battled leukemia for about two years. In 2013, when he passed away, um, we lived nine hours away from them, and it meant the world to us because we got to see their little church just surrounding them before he passed away, but surrounding her afterwards as well. She never had to mow her lawn, clean her gutters, trim her trees, house projects, paintings, all those things, because the body of Christ was her family and helped her in ways that we could not do that. In 2014, as I was a youth pastor in St. Louis, I had two of my youth leaders that were just incredible youth leaders. One was a mom in her 50s and her daughter in her 20s, Diane and Danielle. And in 2014, um, Danielle, who was the daughter, uh, she, after her stint in youth ministry at our church, she decided, God is calling me to Africa. She went as a missionary to Africa. She served there for about two years. When she came back to the States, she met her husband. She got married about a year and a half into her marriage. Um, she was diagnosed with lymphoma, and she passed away. Diane is still in youth ministry to this day, but three years later in 2017, her husband would pass away. And I'll just never forget those times with Diane, grieving the pain of losing her daughter, going and visiting her at the funeral for her husband, but also watching the family of that church just surrounding her and helping her, not just in that time of need, but even after. So 
in a sense, I, I think in America or in our culture, we also have this stigma or this idea that uh, widows are older people who have lived a long life. They've had a great long run with their spouse, but often forget that widows also can be people in their 20s, 30s, that it doesn't have an age span. And so today we're going to talk about some of those things. Now, now, flipping tracks real quickly to give you some stats about orphan care and vulnerable children, that in America alone, right now, there are 391,000 kids in foster care. 391,000 kids in foster care. Of those 391,000, 113,000 are adoptable. They're not just in the system. They're not just waiting. They're literally just waiting for a forever home, for a mom or a dad, sometimes not even both, but a family that's going to take them in and they're going to have a family. But that's America. Let's zoom in a little bit closer to home here. So uh, if we zoom into Ohio, we zoom into Greene County where we are this morning um, in 2022, there were 3,000 what I'll call hotline calls. Now, now these hotline calls were um, basically um, a, a teacher, a relative, a neighbor, whoever, could call Children's Services or the police department and say, hey, I'm really worried about this kid. Or I'm, I'm really worried about this. Sometimes kids could even hotline their parents as well. Um, and, and these 3,000 phone calls, of those 3,000 phone calls, 600 of them turned into credible investigations. Now think about that number 600 for a second. That means that's average almost two investigations per day. Imagine being the one, this is Green County, imagine be the person having to investigate those things every day. Um, can't imagine how tough that would be. Of those 600 investigations last year, 139 children entered into foster care. Now, of those 139 children, not every single one of them was able to go into foster home. Uh, many of them would not be able to go into foster home because of whether it was special needs, medical needs. Um, some of them were maybe teenagers that were just hard to place because, you know, everybody wants the younger kids and maybe not the kids that have gone through or seen a lot of trauma. So that was 2002, a year ago. This current year in Greene County, Greene County has 36 foster care families. In the whole county, they have 36 families that are taking children, that have opened their homes to say, hey, I know there's a need. I know kids need a family. I'll do it. I'll foster. We'll see them, right? Out, out of those 36 kids, out of those 68 kids, sorry, out of those 68 kids, 68 kids that come into foster care currently are in the system in Greene County foster kids. 68 kids. Of those 68, 30 kids are adoptable. 30 kids have had a judge literally say, um, we've given your mom or your dad time to get some things and to work on some things. It doesn't look like that's happening. So I'm going to roll what's called permanent custody and those 30 kids are now waiting to just be adopted. Of those 30, four of those 30 kids are currently in adoptable homes. 16 of those kids, 16 of those 30, are waiting and trying to find a home to adopt them. 
16 kids. They've gone through this. They've seen this. They know they're not going to be reunited with their mom and dad, but they're waiting for a family to take them in. And um, as we get into this, no pressure, church. But I got to think that in the midst of here, we've got 16 empty chairs and maybe 16 families that could take these kids. Not all. You know, that'd be, that'd be too much, but Let's switch sections here. So we see like, man, there's a need for this. Like, but when we see 16 kids, we think, man, that number is not astronomical. It's not like something like your odds of winning the lottery are this, you know. Uh, 16 kids is something that, that's manageable, that's feasible. One church in Greene County could rise up its families and solve this problem this year. Let's see what God's Word says about it. So we're going to look into the book of James. James is a, a short book in the New Testament. It's compared a little bit to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament because we know Proverbs is, is written uh, by different authors, but it's, it's written in senses to where there's these just nuggets and bites of wisdom all throughout that. Now, James is a letter that James wrote and has a letter feeling to it, but it's different than a letter that Paul would write because Paul would write his letter to specific churches about specific things. James writes this letter um, to followers of Christ about these specific things. Um, as it, James writes this, you get the feeling right off the bat that when you read this book, he gets into your business faster than a Tesla goes zero to 60 in what's called ludicrous mode. Google that. Also, I've noticed that we have a couple Teslas in the parking lot. Call me, because I really would love to ride shotgun for that ludicrous mode. See, um, James drops these, these just nuggets, these bites, these one-liners, just like ludicrous mode, but he, he, these truth bombs, if you will, that you'll read the book and you'll be like, oh, ooh, that got personal. James opens up his book by dealing with favoritism. How we tend to show favor to people that will benefit us and how we tend to neglect people who can't benefit us. James would just hit at this mindset and, and basically just take it on and say that this way of thinking uh, is opposite of love. He makes some bold statements in his short book, like in chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, he would say, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? He would go on to say, so also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Singer, the late singer-songwriter Rich Mullins would write a song about this theme of faith without works and say, like, it's about as useless as a screen door on a submarine. That faith without works is weird. In James 4, 4 17, uh, James would say, so whoever knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, for him, that's sin. 
He, like taking that one liner and connecting it to chapter two, you're like, oh, okay, so that person that was needy, that was hungry, that was cold, that needed a jacket, and we knew that, but we said, hey, buddy, I'm praying for you. Hang in there. James says, guys, don't just pray. Do something. And it leads us to our verses that we're going to dig into today, that in James 1.26 He'll say, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And then he goes on into our verse in 127 when he says, if anyone or religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Now, what, here's what James is not doing. James is not defining religion here. It, it isn't a definition of unreligion. It is more a contrast of the mere acts of worship or ritualistic observances that are commonly called religion. A clean and undefiled religion, he would say, is one in which one's conduct and character are disciplined in accordance for God's word. Break it down a little bit more. He, he's basically saying that our beliefs, our life needs to match our beliefs. That we don't just believe that we should help orphans and widows, but we actually help orphans and widows. God's word is intentional through Genesis to Revelation that he has a heart for the vulnerable children and widows. In Exodus 2, you know, right off the bat, the second book, we see Moses and we see kind of like a time that is eerily similar to our last week here in Ohio. Where, where Pharaoh sees that the Hebrew nation is like growing too big and one day they may take them over. So he says, hey, you know what we need to do? We need to wipe them out. And so every male that is born that is Hebrew, you need to kill those babies, but the female babies can live. And so we see uh, Moses' parents, right, maybe even not sure what they should do, feeling helpless, decide that um, we're choosing life here, even though we don't know how this is going to work out, but we're giving life a chance. And in the midst of this, we'll see that Pharaoh's daughter basically adopts Moses, and Moses becomes the first adopted kid um, in the Bible. In Exodus 22, 22, it would say that uh, we're not to mistreat widows or orphans. All throughout the book of Deuteronomy from chapter 10, 14, 16, 24, I mean, it sounds like a play call or a cheer, but uh, God is specific in setting up boundaries and rules and things to protect orphans and widows. Things like during the harvest time that widows would be able to glean grain or olives or grapes. That every third year, part of the, the ritual third year tithe that would benefit widows. In the New Testament, in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5, we, we get this picture of the early church recognizing a specific group of widows in the church that were able to receive care from the early church. And then in Psalm 68, verse 5, it says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God 
and his holy habitation. Father of the fatherless, protector of the widow. See, all throughout the scriptures, we see that God is clear about looking out after orphans and widows and vulnerable children. So that brings us to this next section. So uh, because there's an issue, because we need to do something, this matters because God's word um, inclines us to know we need to do something, then what is our response to this? You know, our church, that, that we have widows and widowers in our church, um, hits me a little bit close to home because as my mother-in-law became a widow, I began to see how this kind of played out. And um, they would come from Mississippi to St. Louis nine hours a lot to come visit us and to see their grandkids and all that stuff. But then on Saturday afternoon, you know, they would always say, oh, we'll leave Saturday night sometime and drive through the night or something. But every time, like with, without a doubt, every Saturday about after lunch, they'd be like, all right, we're going to leave a little bit early because um, my wife's dad would play the piano every Sunday morning at his church and lead the church in worship. Be like, I want to get home, get a good night's rest. I thought I'd just wait till later, but we need to just get on the road. And as he would pass away, it left this incredible hole in my mother-in-law's life that for her after that, going into the church service on Sunday mornings, as the piano would play, the tears would start rolling because there were so many Sundays where he would lead worship, but she would be singing and leading worship too. And I began to realize, like, that's really hard. Um, so that leads us to maybe some takeaways here and how we can respond to help widows. Uh, number one is this, that remember that our mem the memories or places are hard for those who have lost a spouse. I knew another family at a previous church that, another young family that the mother was, was struggling with a sickness that wasn't getting any better when she knew that the day was coming when she was going to pass away. She began to plan her memorial service with her husband. And they were very intentional that in this memorial service that it wasn't going to be at the home church where they worshiped every Sunday. It was going to be at a different church so that her kids could still go to church on Sunday morning and not be flooded with the memories of that memorial service. The second thing that we can do, second takeaway is when, when someone you know loses a spouse, put the date in your calendar. More specifically with that, maybe not just put the date of when it occurred, but maybe a week in advance. So as you do that and you see that date, you can jot them a quick card and send it in the mail and let USPS slowly make sure that it gets there in time. And that person in that day, when that date is there, the anniversary, they know that someone is remembering them and praying for them during that time. A third, a third way is to look after our widows and widowers on the anniversaries, on the birthdays, on the holidays to check in, to invite them, to include them, especially those first ones without their spouse. I'll never forget the first Thanksgiving without my father-in-law and no one really, as we set the table, no one really paid attention, but we set the number of plates, including him and that number. And as we looked around the table and realized what we did, this is this somber moment of how hard that was, even that first one. 
Fourthly, like one of the things I love so much about the SBC is that they've got this organization, this wing of the SBC called Mission Dignity. And this whole goal for Mission Dignity is to come alongside uh, men and women that have been in ministry for the long haul, that have given and sacrificed their life, and maybe they didn't make much money being in ministry, um, but they come alongside pastors who are now retired and their spouses. And even when the pastor passes away, they look to help those spouses with their bills and with care in the long run. Check out this video. All across America, the Southern Baptist Convention includes more than 15 million members, all shepherded by some 47,000 pastors. A few pastors live in big cities and serve megachurches with large memberships. But the majority serve small congregations and are paid modestly. The pay that I got was half of the offering. Sometimes it was $10, sometimes maybe 15 Often, after serving their whole lives, they head into retirement with small earnings and little savings. So even buying basics like food and medicine can be a bumpy road. And I have went to bed hungry because I want my bills paid. I've got to pay for my medicine. Guidestone's Mission Dignity Ministry gives someone like you opportunities for assisting retired Southern Baptist ministers, workers, and their spouses in critical financial need. Since 1918, we've been the arms of Christ extended to these faithful servants. It takes over $7 million annually from people like you and churches like yours to provide monthly assistance to nearly 1,800 retirees who have nowhere else to turn. 100% of donations go directly to help someone in need. Through Mission Dignity, we as Southern Baptists are working together to assure no retired preacher or his widow has to live in poverty. Learn more at missiondignity.org. Man, I, I love it that our denomination has this wing to take care of those pastors that have given their lives to the call of the gospel. I want to just take a second here before we get into the responses and our takeaways for vulnerable children. I want to just uh, point to the fact and reflect on the reality that it, maybe at some point or in all of our lives, we were spiritual orphans. Ephesians 1 to 5 says that God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ, that this is what he wanted to do. And it gave him great pleasure. Guys, the story of the Bible is all about adoption. That we are all adopted into the family of God when we put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ who paid the price for our sins. We're welcomed with open arms into his family. And, I, and when I think about adoption and when I think about this verse, it just triggers the memory of being in court in January and August and adopting our two kids and hearing the judge say words like, this adoption is as if these children were always your children. That their new names on their new birth certificates uh, 
are as if they were born to you just as if they were your biological children. And the reality of that is what God does with us. Takes away our past and helps us heal and brings us into his family. Guys, Jesus died so that we could be adopted. God decided to adopt us into his family. You know, if you've never asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, there's no, part, more, no more perfect day than to do that today. And let today be your adoption day. As we look at um, some takeaways from uh, vulnerable, like how do, we, how do we do this? How do we help support vulnerable children? And in the midst of this, we opened up with some statistics about uh, Green County and all of these things. But um, what, like the bigger picture that I see here is that th- this church is not just a pro-life church on election day. This, this church is not just a hearer, but a doer. And by being pro-life, it means pro-adoption. It means pro-foster care. It means that when a woman struggles and a couple says, I don't know if we can provide for this baby. I don't know what we should do. I know that there are people in this church who would love to come alongside that person and say, hey, give life a chance. Let me help. And if I can't help, let me introduce you to people that would love to help you raise that life. So some takeaways. First one is this, pray for our caseworkers that are in the trenches. One caseworker that we're pretty close with has has told us over the last year that he he would go into his office uh, every morning and wonder who had put their keys on the desk the night before because people were just getting so burnt out that they were just giving up, which was really straining not just the system, but the morale of the people that were trying to help connect kids and put them in safe situations. Right now, we, we share that there's 16 kids in Greene County that are waiting to find their forever family. I got to believe that we know 16 families in here that would love to give some of these kids a home. And, and maybe God is calling you this morning, and maybe you're like me, you're dragging your hand on whatever you can grip to not do it. Hey, I totally get it. And maybe that scares you to death. And that might be a good thing because we should go into this with this sober realization that this isn't easy. It's not like adopting a puppy. Um, These kids need a home and not just a vacation where, ah, this doesn't work. I'm really sorry. Thirdly, um, support foster and adoptive families. One of the things that I love about this church that that I get to serve at is that because the need is so great for adoptive homes and foster care homes, we have a church that responds and meets this need that literally we started a ministry called Called to Care that its whole purpose is to surround foster and adoptive families with a care team to help support them through what they're doing. Right now in our church, we we have over 20 foster and adoptive families. And those 20 families, we would love it to form a team around every single one of those families that are in the trenches. Right now we have three teams 
Um, in January, we're adding a fourth team because we will have another, we'll have enough volunteers to support it. We've got 40 people that um, are on, that are in these trenches supporting these families, on these four families. And each team needs about eight people to surround that one family. I'm going to introduce uh, my wife, Tiffany, and Melissa, who are going to come up here, and they're going to share a little bit about the video that we're going to watch uh, about their ministry called to care. Hi, um, I'm Tiffany Sloffman, and this is Melissa Clemens, and we are the co-leaders of Called to Care here at UBC. Um, we have a short video to show you that kind of shows um, what UBC has been doing as a body of Christ for the, some of the foster and adoptive families that are here in our church already. Um, and then I just want to say we'll be in the back afterwards if you want to come and see us. Hello, my name is Timothy Mock and this is my wife, Natalie. We were the first foster family to receive a wraparound team from UBC's Call to Care Ministry. Uh, we have four children, two are biological, uh, one that we fostered and adopted, and one that we're currently fostering. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I've had the blessing of serving the Mock family through the Called to Care ministry for the past year. Our team is a little bit unique in that many of us had known the Mocks before we started the care team and would have been willing to serve them. However, the Called to Care ministry has given us structure and regularity in our serving, and I think has been a greater blessing due to that. For those of you that are not familiar with Called to Care, what it does is provides meals and then babysitting for foster and adoptive families. Uh, for our family, that looks like multiple people bringing in a meal. Uh, they bring a meal once a week. And then they also, we have a specific people that provide babysitting for our children every other month so that we can have a date night. Something that was very helpful for my husband and I with being first time foster parents was having a care team from UBC. It was very helpful to be able to have just support, whether it was from a meal delivered to our house, hanging out at a coffee shop and just finding out about how things were going, or getting together and spending time with our foster kiddo and having conversations. When I was first asked to join the ministry, my initial thoughts were, I'm not a parent. I have no idea what that means. I have no idea how to walk alongside someone with parental struggles. Um, but serving and called to care has challenged me to just truly look beyond my current season of life and walk alongside those who need community and support. All the Lord asks of us is to take the next right step. Being able to help Brian and Julie out has been a huge blessing. Um, just getting to know them and, uh, and their, their foster child uh, has been a huge blessing. And also, we still want to adopt or foster down the road. And it's kind of prepared us and getting to walk alongside with them as they're going through this helped us to see, you know, what, what may be in store for us down the road. So a huge blessing all around. My wife Sharon and Julie's relationship has really, uh, really grown uh, a lot. And uh, that's been cool, cool to see as well, them encouraging each other in the Lord. And just kind of being willing and, and uh, helped us be more hospitable. And it's been a huge, uh, a huge blessing having Brian and Julie and then their foster child and just being able to kind of work with them in that and uh, it's really it's really been great just bringing my kids in and letting them be a part of it and serving in this way has I think really also stretched them and helped them out undoubtedly my involvement in this ministry has truly humbled me and reinforced the value of what it means to care for the needy the reality is statistically speaking uh, foster care it's hard and it uh, people don't always 
continue to foster. And so what has been proven is that people who have a wraparound care team continue to foster, much more likely to continue. And while I cannot foster myself at this time, um, it has been a huge blessing to be able to serve and walk alongside the Mock family as they are fostering. If anybody's thinking about joining a care team, do it. Don't wait, do it, because there's a lot of people who need help. And, uh, you know, if we're called to be the body of Christ, we need to be well jointed to each other and help each other uh, to fulfill the mission of the kingdom. I would encourage anyone to be part of either a care team or even becoming foster care parents because these kids, they need a family, they need stability, they need people that are going to encourage them in life. Thank you again for everyone who is on our care team. Uh, we love you and thanks for being on this journey with us. So a big thank you to our team for providing that for us. We appreciate how you've served our family. Um, it's been a blessing for us. The reality is for our family, this is how we feel called to live out mercy. Pray with me this Hello, morning. my name is Jimmy. Lord, we come to you this morning with our hearts attentive to the vulnerable around us. We live in a fallen world where orphans and widows are a reality. You tell us in Psalm 34 that you are close to the brokenhearted. And this morning, I ask that you show us how to come alongside these two specific groups. Father, we pray for the widows in our church and in our community. We thank you for the blessing it is to know them and to do life with them. Help us as a church to better understand how to be a brother or a sister in Christ to them. You call us to look after widows in their distress. I pray that we can be the hands and feet of Jesus who do that well. And as I think of widows that I know and so many that I don't, I pray that you surround each of them with godly comfort and love and help them to rest in your provision and peace. And if they don't yet know you as their Savior, I pray that their hearts will be stirred this morning and drawn to you. For you are the source of everlasting love and eternal hope. God, we pray that you open our eyes and open our hearts to the plight of the orphan, both locally and worldwide. We thank you and we pray for the ministries around the world whose mission is to end the orphan crisis. We thank you and we pray for local foster care and children's service agencies who work tirelessly to place children in loving homes. We thank you and we pray for our judges and our lawmakers who make lasting legal decisions for the orphan children around us. We thank you and we pray for our own UBC foster and adoptive families that we would be drawn to you for wisdom, for joy and healing, and that you would strengthen the bonds within our families. We pray for discernment in our own hearts and here at UBC so that we would see the ways that we can join the movement to care for your precious children. And most importantly, Lord, we lift them up to you this morning, every single orphan. Give them safety, a loving family, healing, and more than anything, we pray they would know you and your love for them and follow you. And as we advocate for them, give us boldness and compassion that can only come from you. We thank you for this time together this morning, and we thank you for loving us. In your son's precious name, amen.